Welcome to the Association Strong Podcast, where we offer insight from both a seasoned association exec and an entrepreneur. I'm Dave Will. And I'm Tom Morrison. Listen in as we discuss and debate hot topics in the association community. Don't forget to subscribe and share us with your friends. Hey, Tom. You got hey, it? Hey, How you I doing, man? I got it, too. In fact, Tom, something I wanted to um, ask you, it's, it's kind of weird, just an observation, how, you know, when you go into the bathroom, you're American, and when you come out of the bathroom, you're American, but when you're in the bathroom, European. You're what? European. <laughs> and the reason I bring that up, Tom, you're starting out on a high note order. today, Dave. Now I can tell right now, every listener is glued to their earphones. European. Well, the reason I bring this up is because we hit that. My brother told me that joke. He is the. I thought I was good at dad jokes. No, my brother is the master at dad jokes, and so every now and then he sings to this, send, sends me things like that. So speaking of European, we got a, a friend with us named Paul Walsh, and uh, hey, Paul. Hi, how are you doing? Great. You know, Paul is an Irishman in uh, Belgium, uh, where he's the senior membership manager for the European Business Aviation Association. Um, they're based in, in uh, Brussels, uh, and they've got 750 members. Uh, I'm sure it, it, it's a trade association, or is that a... Okay, so it's a trade association. That's correct, yes. Um, and and uh, Paul was telling us, uh, over email at least, Paul was telling us that, you know, that like, like everyone, they struggled in the pandemic. Uh, they canceled the conference. Uh, they they uh, didn't want to increase membership dues. But Paul came up with this really cool, uh, he calls it an ambassador program, but I think of it as like a referral program. And so um, we want Ambassador have, sounds way better though. It sure does. Yeah. We wanted to have um, our, our European friend come on, not only to tell us about this ambassador program, which I think is super interesting. I have a lot of questions for you about it. But also just tell us about, you know, what, what's business like for you from an association perspective in Europe? And we can talk about some of the differences and, and so on. So welcome, Question Paul. one, Paul. Wait, welcome, who, Paul. Yeah, I was going to ask Paul, who, who is Paul? Tell us about Paul. Okay, uh, great to be here, guys. Like I was saying earlier, I discovered you guys about a month and a half ago, and I just uh, binged a lot of podcast episodes in the course of two days while my wife was away. Um, you are our second listener. Congratulations. So that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> I, met, I, met, I met the other one at ASA Annual just last week. So it's it's early September when we're recording this, just last week for an annual. And I met the other listener. That's pretty cool. Yeah, well, I think I think quality and rather than quantity is really I think you're doing fine. But we have um, more people in this podcast right now recording this than we do. This okay, we are listening. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's not the only podcast like that. So, okay, so who am I? Um, uh, like we said, from Ireland, I moved to Belgium 16 years ago to pursue an academic career. Um, and uh, I, I decided after two or three years that I didn't want to be an academic philosopher uh, anymore. Uh, and then I got into uh, journalism and I got a job as an editor of a trade association about private aviation. Um, after that, that kind of led me to the European Trade Association for Private Aviation. We call it Business Aviation, um, the EBAA. I've been there for seven years. 
And I think like a lot of people, I didn't see the association world as a potential career path for me. I didn't really know what it was when I was a student. Um, so I've been sort of learning as I go, really, and I'm still really keen to learn more. That's why I was looking for a podcast. About so I, Tom, I can see Paul going to his guidance counselor in school and being like, hey, so listen, I was thinking, where can I make the least amount of money and put in the most amount of work in my career? Because that sounds fun. And I want you to try academia. Uh, nah, what about journalism? Uh, no, still still getting paid too much. Let's try a, a, a being an editor for, for an association. There we go. There you go. No, excellent. But here's the criteria. I don't, I don't know how it is in America, Paul, but I mean, it's so funny. Many people, I, I got into associations at 31 and didn't know what they were till I was 31. And I yeah. didn't go to school. Yeah. Um, I just actually, uh, two years ago, I got to speak as an alumni of Florida State University to a bunch of alums of a fraternity I was in, a business fraternity. And when you go around and ask people, what do you want to work in? A lot of them say, I want to work in public, public, public life, which is kind of working for the government. Or they want to work in nonprofits, which when they think of nonprofits, they normally think of like the local heart association or the epilepsy association. No one really understands the world of 501c6 nonprofits, which are the yeah. trade groups. You know, they don't really understand. Um, and, you know, they're, 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 you, can, you can garner a nice life working for trade, trade associations and professional societies. I mean, they don't pay tons of money, but the reward of, that you get for working for one and, um, you know, and, and it can be very rewarding working for them as well. Sometimes I'm, not, I, I'm also not sure that in Brussels, at least, that it compares badly with other kind of jobs of similar seniority. Um, but certainly what I know is that it's a really cool job. Uh, and yeah. uh, it's something that from the outside, I think, doesn't seem cool at all. I think senior membership manager, it doesn't sound like something that's very exciting. I don't think. My what do you son, what do you think? Son, is cool? Well, tell me what you think is cool about it. Well, you're at the center of an industry. And um, mm. you're kind of the source of lots of different information about that industry. You're in a neutral position and you have the opportunity to bring people together to make the industry better. Um, and that's just a lot of fun. And, and so how do you think the uh, sorry, the, the European Business Aviation Association is making the industry better? What is well, so we're implementing you know, a lot of standards. We're under a lot of pressure, as you would imagine, from sustainability point of view. So we're doing a lot to promote sustainable practices within the industry. Uh, most of our members are looking for ways to be more sustainable. And they do that by taking inspiration from some of our other members. So we do as much as possible to facilitate that. Uh, and then we also, on top of that, implement lots of best practices in all aspects of the sector, such as just simple things like contracts between airlines and suppliers or airlines and airline brokers, um, just to increase the professionalism. Are you, who are your members? Sorry? Who are your members? So it's sort of split between what we call operators. These are really um, op airlines for private jets. Um, and then uh, the other part of it is the supply chain of private aviation that's the manufacturers the trip planners the maintenance providers um lawyers and everybody who supports the sector so i got a quick question so are you being in the airline industry over there paul are you familiar with the amec committee and nadcap we have something called the amec committee but i think you're talking about something something different so no i'm not 
Well, so so in the world of heat treating, because, you know, many parts on a plane have to, be, have to be heat treated. I love it when I get on a plane and someone says, and we're talking before we take off, and they're like, so what are you doing? I tell them, well, my I represent a trade group who represents the interest of heat treaters and heat treaters heat treat the metal parts and the landing gear on this plane and the engines and in the cockpit, all of that. They even heat treat the metal rods that are underneath us with the seat snap into. And so when metal's not heat treated correctly in the landing gear, guess what happens when you land and it's weak, it could snap. So that's what we do. And the person's eyes are just like wide open, like, so they do it right, don't they? You know, and so NADCAP, AMAC committee is the group that writes the standards and the rules yeah. that they have to heat treat by. And NADCAP is the um, third party body that actually audits to those standards. They audit every single heat treater once every year to make sure they're doing the right, you know, they're heat treating things correctly. So yeah. obviously the standards are pretty significant knowing that you're operating on things like landing gear. 100%. But see, this is the other thing that I really love about it because I came to the industry without a technical background, but people are always so willing and open to explain things to you. And I've been sort of in the industry for, for about 11 years. And this is one example of one of the many things that I don't know. And um, so there's still a lot, of lot to learn. And that's very kind of a, a very exciting part of my job as well. Well, that, that's that's more. I think that's an attitude you have that is an attitude centered around curiosity, which not uh, not everybody has. I think there's a lot of people that have this attitude of wanting to educate, not wanting to listen and learn. So the kudos to you for that. So listen, before we go too deep into the weeds, the biggest reason we have you here is to talk about this ambassador program you have. Can you tell us the origins of it, the, the mechanics of it, and what you're getting out of it? And I'm sure we're going to interrupt you 50 times with questions. Okay, very good. I'll try to be as concise as possible. No, no, so, no. Go on, go on. We got all day Be long-winded. <laughs> um, okay, listen, uh, during the, up until the pandemic, our association was doing quite well, organizing a large event in Geneva every year. Um, this was um, the biggest source of revenue for the association. And then, of course, because of the pandemic, for two years in a row, we weren't able to organize this event. Um, we were lucky that we um, had built up some reserves. Um, so I think it would be an exaggeration to say that there was an existential threat to the, to the industry, although I suppose we didn't know at the time how long the pandemic would go on for. Uh, but certainly there was some financial uncertainty and it brought home to us the importance of diversifying our revenue streams. Mm -hmm. And I think that in situations like that, for a trade association, the obvious thing to do is to look at membership fees. And that's what we did initially. And we brought members together in a working group when we put all sorts of scenarios to them. And I think it's probably too cynical for me to say that the issue there was that the people who were making the decisions on increasing the membership fees were also the ones who would have to pay those increases. Well, there might have been an element of that. Um, but just because it was the pandemic, there was a lot of uncertainty. It just didn't seem the right moment to kind of burden our members with increased fees. So we kind of had to go back to the drawing board. And then we saw, OK, let's create a platform where it's not mandatory, but you get more value and you pay more. Quite a straightforward idea. And we kind of built it around visibility. It was like an, an extended sponsorship option. You would get visibility uh, throughout the year at our various online events on our website and so on. We went back to the board with that and uh, we came to this interesting situation where even though there was some financial uncertainty, um, I think our board didn't really want us to be focusing just on making money. I mean, 
we are an advocacy organization. Our mission is to defend and promote the interests of business aviation. That's what they want us to be focused on. And this just, I think, was a bit too commercial. Yeah, so little, that sounds very, very sponsorshipy, which yeah, is very, not, very it's, it's not super innovative, right? It's it's just yeah. taking a sponsorship and putting a slightly different spin on it. Hey, you want to give us money? We'll put your logo here. Yeah. And people are like, yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that was that, that was sort of the response that we were getting. Yeah. Uh, and a bit knee jerk as well, I guess. So yeah. then we were kind of just thinking through this and then um, we saw that what we needed to do was to link this program to the mission of our association. And like I said, that's about promoting our image, promoting promoting our sector. And we are a sector that I think you could say has, at least in Europe, a bit of an image problem. Um, and so we've done a lot of work on creating messaging guides, communications toolkits, putting all that stuff on our website, but it sort of stays there on our website. We haven't really, we hadn't really been successful in activating that. And so we realized that what we needed were ambassadors, people who would take those arguments and be able to go out and present them to audiences outside of our sector. We were very good at talking to ourselves about how great we were. We weren't, still aren't good enough at talking to young people who should be thinking about a career in our sector, talking to politicians and policymakers. We're considering regulations that will impact our sector and even thinking about potential users. So, Paul, how is this different from like the concept of an influencer where you have people that are acknowledged and recognized in the industry? People want to watch them, learn from them. But the influencer now is also preaching, uh, preaching your value. Is there a difference? I, I, I don't I don't think there is a big difference. Just for me, when I hear the word influencer, I think of these people on Instagram, on, on beaches and uh well, they have a following, right? That's what makes them yeah. influencers. They have a following, but it, I don't see an ambassador necessarily as having a following. Well, the, what we wanted to do with the program was to take people who had potential and help them and give them the skills so that they could become ambassadors for the section, sector. So some of them won't have a big following already, but we kind of organized a series of workshops throughout the year where we help them with media skills, with presentation skills, with social media skills, so that they can kind of build that platform. And then also they get together and focus on the key messages for our sector, sort of digest and absorb and internalize and take ownership of them um, so that they can go out really and spread those messages in an effective way. Which you charge 10,000 euros for. That's great. And you got 23 people, 230,000 euros of revenue for running these courses and for the ambassadors what's in it for the so the ambassadors is it typically a representative from an organization or are these individuals what's in it for them like why do they want to become an ambassador so first of all the way we've done it it was we've said that companies are ambassadors so companies send usually they send the same person to all of our meetings but they don't have to but we would say for instance daso is an ambassador for mm -hmm. the european business aviation sector what's in it for them um, well, they get kind of leadership communication skills by being part of the workshop, workshops. But I, I think the big thing is that they're part of this, you could say, elite group within the industry. They're positioned as leaders. And I think networking really is the big driver behind it, if I'm, if I'm honest about it. Um, we have airlines, which are making big purchasing decisions towards about manufacturers or or planning providers so 
once we got, for instance, a couple of airlines on board, then it was quite straightforward to go out there and ask people in the supply chain. And, and the idea of the ambassadors, is it to drive uh, membership, to increase membership, drive awareness of the association? Or is it to uh, drive advocacy? Is it to preach the purpose? Or is it all of that? I mean, what, what is the real purpose? What are you trying to get the ambassadors to do for the association aside from the $230,000 of revenue? Yeah, yeah. so I think that it's about advocacy. And um, what we have been doing in the past was ourselves in the Secretariat going to mostly European politicians and policymakers and talking to them about how great the sector is. And that's great, but we're kind of almost semi-bureaucrats guys who sit in offices in Brussels. Um, what the politicians and policymakers want to do is speak with people who run companies, people who run companies in their constituency, people who have this sort of credibility and gravitas. And so we want to include them in the advocacy process as well. That's good for the member that's involved. And I think that's very useful for the politician and policymaker as well. And ultimately, the goal there is it's to get our message across uh, and to kind of let people know about some of the many of the things that we're doing, for instance, in sustainability and just present, like I said already, a positive image of themselves. So what I, what I call that from an entrepreneur's perspective is just market awareness. You know, we, we do all kinds of things at Propul to drive market awareness. And then we also do things at Propul to get people to come into a demo. Right. And those are mm -hmm. different things. There's some overlap. But they're different things. Yeah. The, the demo is really the first part of the sales process for a software company like us. And so we'll pitch you and say, hey, Paul, we we know you're, you, you as a trade association, you struggle with X, Y and Z. We think we can help you. Would you be interested in seeing how other organizations doing that? That's an effort to get you into a demo. Then we do other things like we come out with this conversational ebook and we do a webinar. That's less to drive people in the web into a, a demo, but more to uh, drive market awareness. So it sounds like this is a program you've designed to build market awareness. And Tom, I know you have a question. Can I ask one more before you go? Sure, go ahead. Your training programs. Is this something you outsource? Did you partner with an organization or you have staff members internally that built this program, the training program, and you're delivering that to um the ambassadors so this is all very new and we're, we're still sort of learning as we go uh, in the initial stage we are focused on workshops about industry topics and we've evolved the program so somewhat to really focus on giving ambassadors the skills of actually be ambassadors so now we are uh, getting external providers to give workshops on media skills mm, okay and you have to pay them you pay yeah. them for that? Okay. Uh, is this something you'd be willing to share with other... I, I see this, Tom, as something almost every association could do, whether you're a professional or trade association. Absolutely. Like, I, think, I, I think it's a really creative approach. In fact, you should, you should do a whole session on this at ASA um, Annual or ASA MMCC in, in the spring. Like, I think this would be a phenomenal session for people to learn from because this is a cookie cutter program that just yeah. about anybody could adopt to A, get your members way more involved as, as volunteers and ambassadors, and B, drive some revenue while you're doing it. And see market awareness. See, I don't know how many yeah. fingers I'm holding up now. All right, Tom, that's what I got. So, so a couple of questions, Paul. So, 
when you talked about networking the ambassadors, that was a big, huge thing to them. Was it networking with just the other group of, man, of ambassadors or was it a larger group that they get to connect in and, and, and merge in with? Mostly it's the other ambassadors. So it's a particular group that would want to connect. How, how many, how many of them did you, I don't know if you said, how many of them did you, do you have? We 23. Okay. Awesome. And are they the larger companies in the industry or are they also some of the medium to small size? Um, I, I don't think we have any, what we would call small, but mostly medium and large. Right. Yeah, so, which is another cool thing is like you're not asking an individual to fork out 10 grand. It's a lot easier and more likely to get an organization to make a $10,000 right. contribution to as mm -hmm. a as a ambassador, which is just a clever sponsorship program, really. Yep. Right. Very clever. I don't mean to minimize that. It's a very clever sponsorship. Well, it's even it's model. even be it's even better when you can connect how the 10,000 or whatever they're paying connects down to how it helps the average member. Yes, that's the key to it, because when you I, do that, then people want to be an ambassador because they respect and love that this company is actually feeding in funding that one helps keeps their dues down, provides education or whatever training they can get or networking opportunities or resources that can help them be better. And it costs them little to nothing for that. Why that we have 14 what we call diamond level members. And uh, years ago, it was about 2009. My CEO that I replaced after he retired, one of his dreams was. He's like, Tom, we get in all this money with about four five, six, sometimes seven checks from people. And I'd like to create a program where it's a year round annual partnership and they can give us one check and they get kind of a package deal. They get their booth at our trade show. They get uh, banner ads on our website, a print, ad, a print ad in our newsletter. They get so many registrations, our national conference. They give us one check and they get all this stuff and it saves them a, a fair amount of money. So. We kind of did the same thing. We don't call it ambassadors, but we call it just a diamond level membership. But our they we've only had two two companies uh, leave that membership in the last fifteen years because they get the fact that the members are looking up, going, "Wow, we're better because of that group because they're giving us extra money to do cool things with." Yeah, I see that as kind of being similar with your ambassador program. Yeah, like I said, I feel like it is still early days um, for for me and for this program, but. We have discussed that. I think that's a really important aspect of it because I think one of the potential objections is that you're creating a division. I use the word elite. We don't want to have sort of elitism within our association. We want to be accessible to all, all members. We want to treat all members equally. One way of addressing that is just communicating and ensuring that whatever resource gains you get through the program are sort of distributed for the benefit of all members. Right. So let me let me ask you a big question, because for our listeners, I mean, everybody wants to know, you know, if we were to take and go down this path, what kind of pushback or obstacles did you experience along the way as you began to take on this this ambassador program? Well, I think there are some sensitivities about creating a new center of influence in the organization. Um, and actually, if we go way back, we had thought of something similar uh, and actually we took an idea from a, a U.S. association and we called it a leadership council. And it was the same thing, but it was just a leadership council sounds like some sort of um, committee or some sort of element of the governance of the association or creating a competing board. Um, and so we have to be very clear that by becoming an ambassador, the focus is to disseminate messages from the association. It's not actually to influence um because we already have the governance structures structures to deal with that so right. i think if that if that's not clear then that could potentially um upset some people and become a barrier 
So anybody looking to really go down the path of starting an ambassador program, what would you say are kind of two or three things that they want to definitely keep in mind or steps they need to take um, to make sure that they have success? And I'd, I'd like to get Paul's email so people can email him directly. So the other listener can email him directly and say, Paul, send me what you got or let's set up a Zoom call. I really want to do this in my organization. Tell me. Right. How yeah. Um, I, I think that, um, yeah, you just need to be prepared for objections from from the board. I, I, as you can kind of gather from the way that I told my story, we didn't have everything planned out very well from the beginning. It was a sort of thing that developed sort of in dialogue with our board to a certain extent. So I think I, I, I made some mistakes in sort of in that process. So first, looking to commercial having something that's not linked to the mission of your association um, and giving the impression that, like I said, you're creating a new center of influence there. I, I think they're the things that, that can um, upset people. All right. So Tom, what do you think is a key takeaway for you here? Like what is, what is something, and, and Paul, have you listened to these things? One of the things, not to say we need to wrap this up, but I'm, I'm kind of, I think this is such a cool, tangible takeaway. And one of the things we do at this is we identify what what's that epiphany for you. So I'd be curious to hear, um, Tom, what your takeaway is. I'll tell you what mine is. And then, Paul, I want to hear your takeaway as well. One, But before we do that, I do have one more question. And, Paul, before I forget, what's your email address? Walsh at eBAA. Dot org. P-W-A- P-W-A-L-S-H at E-B-A-A.org. That's E-B-A-A as in European Business Aviation Association. All right. So uh, where do you, what are your expectations? I mean, obviously, it's something you're going to do every year. So uh, is it, is this a renewing uh, $10,000 fee each year? Or is yes. it like one time you go through the program, now you're an ambassador for life? Well, I think the challenge is that it needs to keep growing and keep keep getting better. Um, and uh, I was listening to um, another podcast where they were talking about um, uh, a sto- it was a story about Airbnb uh, and how the CEO of Airbnb he he kind of put all restraints to one side and he just wanted to imagine what would be the absolute best Airbnb experience. And what was important in that experience was that the customer would go through some type of transformation, that they would be a different person at the end of it than they were in the beginning. That's that's a goal. That's a goal. That's a goal, isn't it? That's a goal. So we want to push our members out of their comfort zone. We want that to create a sort of esprit de corps among the members. And we want them to say, wow, that's been the most significant professional experience of my career. And I I am different now, or at least I see things differently now. Um, that's the experience that we're, we, we, we would like to create. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of the, the element that we have always taken, Paul. We're very experiential within our association, whether it comes to meetings, acad- uh, learning academy, anything. Because what we want the people to think that give us 10 grand a year is that that 10 grand compared to what we receive in return is pennies on the dollar. So when they go to give it the next year, they don't look at 10 grand. They look at this is the best money we spend and invest in our company to reach the masses to the people. Because I'm 
I was told back in sales 101 years ago that you need to find out where your customers are in mass and go there as often as possible. And we're the only place, we're the largest network of commercial heat treaters in the world. Yeah. We're the only place where they can do that. So, But we just can't rest on that. We have to make sure that they actually experience that large network. Yeah. So we kind of do the same thing. We don't, we don't, we never take it for granted that someone's going to pony up that 10 grand, even if they've given it to us 10 years in a row, because something could change in a heartbeat and they take a different view of it. And all of a sudden you're getting the call, hey, we're not going to renew this next year. Yeah. Um, and just concretely as well, I mean, in terms of what we can do more of, we're sort of putting our ambassadors through the paces now and putting them through these fairly intense workshops. But I think we're still not at the stage where we're really seeing the ambassadors being ambassadors. So what I really want to see is at the end of this year, ambassadors making presentations at universities, making presentations at um, uh, at, at political forums, at business forums. Right. Um, we need to start see, seeing more of that. And I think that they'll get a lot of satisfaction from being able to do that well with our support. Well, what I love is you're scaling your message instead of it all relying on just your yes. staff. You're scaling your message to where now your ambassadors are the ones that are really carrying the, the brand out there. And it saves you a lot of time and effort to try and do that. I love that you're doing workshops to get them tuned in to every stage of it. That's really, that's really smart. Yeah, because I think before, I mean, I've seen that at other associations where that can be a bit bit ad hoc and in the lobbying process and the adv advocacy process, just parachuting a member into a meeting sometimes doesn't work. And so we're making sure that our members are really well supported and know the messages so that they can, can deliver the most impact um, in that sort of advocacy process. Well, and, and, and it's good that you, when you talk about advocacy and government meetings, we just I just came from a meeting of 13 uh, associations in Tennessee. And one of the things they talk, uh, because advocacy in a state level is in many of their, their benefits and what they do. And they all talked about that one or two rogue board members that, that spear into a government <laughs> official's office. And they're talking about what they personally want, but they're doing it through the eyes of I'm a board member of XYZ association who doesn't exactly see eye to eye with that position. Yeah. So they they then they they kind of drift off and they leverage the leverage that the association brings, but they're saying things that the association are not exactly on board with. So it's you know it's it's a, it's a fine balance to make sure that your brand ambassadors really understand the specific message that we put our name on, and that's it. So that's I think that that training is probably the number one thing once they come on board that every association listening in would want to make sure they do is make sure that their brand ambassadors really understand what the message is that you want portrayed. One hundred percent. Paul, awesome. is there anything we can do for you? Is there uh, anything you want the listeners to to look up? Uh, anything at all? I don't normally well, ask that, but I realized I should start asking that. It's like, how can we help you? We're just pulling information out of you, but what can we do for you? So I, I feel like um, we're in our association, like I think many associations, we're on a sort of island. Um, I haven't been engaging enough with other trade associations. I think what I picked up recently and what I'm picking up from this call or this, this uh, podcast as well is that all associations are very similar, facing very similar challenges. And so I'd like to be in touch with people who are thinking about doing this, have done something similar, um, and I want to you know, learn from them as well. Um, and I'm, I'm very interested in learning just how programs like this can be kind of presented to a board um, um, and, and get, get the buy-in from the board. I think that's the most challenging part, and I'd like to figure out how to do that better by being in touch with people like you and your listeners. So uh, let me ask, that, are, yeah, are you a member of ASAE, Paul? 
I'm not. I'm. I, I am though a member of the ESAE. Yes, the ASAE. The first letter is American. Uh, we've got. We've got a e, European one. Yeah, but you know what? There's. I think I may be mistaken, but I think there's some uh, European associations that want to come to ASAE just to learn. And yeah, and it's such a big organization, like literally like forty thousand members or something like that. Um, and and their conferences, like we just finished the, the ASA annual, it was off the charts, like really, really good. I think people are just dying to get away from their families right now. So, so well, here, here, here's what I was going to say about that, Dave, really quick before you go to something else so, yeah. on, on that subject. I'd encourage you to join ASAE, and then they've got the online forums that are highly active. Yeah. Okay. And go out, go out to the CEO. They have a CEO forum and they have an executive management forum and i would go to both of those and start your conversation on ambassador programs share yes. what you've done and i guarantee you you're going to get lots of people that are going to drive into that conversation and have conversation along with you right from your desk and you'll be able you'll be able to ex extend your experience and help people learn how to do it but you also probably pick i know there's people and there's associations in america that have done exactly what you're doing and, and you could learn even more things from that so together it's a big learning process, but I'd encourage you to do that. That'd be great. And this is a, it's, it's, a, it's a very useful piece of advice. Thank you. And in addition to that, more advice, because everybody likes to be told what to do. Uh, more advice would be, that's my American sarcasm right there. Uh, <laughs> the, the other piece of advice would be to submit this as a yes. session to the MMCC conference, which is usually in Washington, D.C. in April or June. May. You, I've seen it in, oh, June. in June. Okay, yeah. it's sometime Mayor in the June. spring, uh, and then it uh, maybe again at the annual conference in August next year, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I think this is something that people would love to hear about, and uh, and ASA would would love your money as a member. So they're not gonna they're not gonna uh, exclude you because you're you're a European. They're gonna right. welcome okay. you with open arms in your checkbook. I love so, that American. I love the American spirit. <laughs> We're so wide open as long as you bring your checkbook. Uh, so, so Tom, what, what's a key takeaway for you today? So my big key takeaway is that associations just need to look at this. When you look at, you're able to, you got um, suppliers that would probably love to support you in this way. And you do it in a way that drives value to them and better connection with other suppliers as well as um, the membership. And it helps you leverage um brand recognition. I just think it's one of those things that associations have to really look at. Yeah, I, I so the, I, the key takeaway, obviously, is this whole concept, which I think is amazing. But I'm going to say, like, it started with the difference between an ambassador and a, um, uh, what was the other word I used? Uh, a sponsorship or uh, influencer? Influencer, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's, it, so I, I had to process that um the influencer versus the ambassador thing and I, I i get the difference i think uh but the key takeaway for me here is this is a cookie cutter uh revenue opportunity oh i just had another thought but another thing to do for you so this is a cookie cutter revenue opportunity that every single association can do trade or professional and that that to me right is the mind-blowing part yeah it does require effort and i think that's one of the hardest things for associations to get their arms around is everybody's so spread thin 
that the idea of taking on something they're like, oh my God, another project. We have enough projects going on right now. That's the hurdle to overcome. But there's there's one other second hurdle, Dave, I think, in most associations is fear. And what's the fear? The fear is you're going to turn your brand over to a group of members to really go out and share not with the, the right, not with the right program, not with the right yeah. training program. I, that, 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 that's, that's true. But I'm, but most associations who don't have that program yet don't trust the brand, them to yeah. have the brand in their hands and say, Hey, here's what it does. So, but I think if you, I mean, that's what we did. We designed a six, uh, 77 second video that any member can give to someone that tells specifically yeah. our brand and they can talk from that. So it, may, it builds a consistency, but I do think a lot of associations, have a fear of turning their brand over in a large way to a group of people to be the front face of it. But, but Paul's obviously Paul, showed us how we can do that. Paul, before you go with your, the key takeaway you want people to hear um, or your key epiphany in the conversation, if there was one, uh, before that, Nanduza Palooza is an event in Nashville in late September this year. Uh, so it's, it's less than a month away. Uh, now, I don't know if you can get involved for this year. They probably have their program all set up, but I, I'll introduce you to Terry Carden, who is a friend of ours and was a guest on this podcast. And the whole concept of Nandusapalooza is how can we drive revenue or what other activities, value-based activities, can we do that aren't necessarily associated with incre increasing uh, dues revenue? Yeah, That tends to be where a lot of our focus is. So anyway, I'll, uh, assuming you're interested, I'll make that introduction. You really should get to know Terry. Great, great, thank you. Yeah, I think she'd love to have you uh, at, at the next Nandusapalooza. Um, of course, that's a year from now, but um, certainly worth the connection. All right, tell us, Paul, what's your key takeaway? So I have two. Um, first of all, we're speaking. Wait, Tom, can we allow two? Let's break in the rules here. Hey, we've gone international. We obviously are going to let him yeah. go too. This is our first international. <laughs> All right, go with your I, you, you guys need to open up. Um, <laughs> well, actually, and the thing is, what I wanted to say was that you know, we're speaking across the Atlantic Ocean, but um, we, have, we haven't really come up against any point where there's a difference between the American experience of association and the European experience of association and maybe there really isn't that big difference so again that's a, sort of underlines for me how association experiences tend to be quite um similar across the board and why we should try to engage with each other more to learn more from each other and then just in terms of the ambassador program um i think the takeaway for me is that to link the way that you make money with the mission of your organization otherwise you will definitely be spread to then, especially if you're a trade association, you'll be focusing on lobbying on the one hand, and then you might have a membership or events department on the other hand, doing a different activity that's not terribly linked to your main mission. So if you can link the two, it's going to, you're going to find it easier to um, perform at a high level. Uh, and I think the ambassador program is one way that you can do that. Excellent. Well, Paul Walsh, Walsh I'm sorry, Walsh with an A. Thank you so much again. Email Paul Walsh at eBAA.org, P-W-A-L-S-H at eBAA.org. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, really, Paul, this really... has been awesome. I love hearing what you're doing. Great. And I hope to meet you then at these very exciting events. Absolutely. I'd actually like to meet you in your backyard. Yeah, I, so I'm, would I'm I. That's possible too. 
In fact, Paul, you know what? My family, we go on these European, well, not just European, we go on these vacations, these big grandiose vacations. One year we rented an RV and drove all, all around the US. Um, uh, another year, you know, we went to, we rented a, a catamaran and sailed around the Caribbean. Uh, we went to Italy and, and Poland and Germany and, and England. And this year, this year's trip is Ireland. Oh wow! So I would love your um, in 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 uh, in well or Welch uh, well Wales, Wales I'm sorry Wales, right. uh, and so uh, I would love some input from you if I can get that, but that that'll be for another day. Sure, my Thank pleasure. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Thanks a lot, guys. Dave, good Bye. to see you, man. We hope you gain some inspiration that will help you run an efficient and effective association just like a business, and maybe laugh a little with us. If you have a topic you would like to hear us talk about. Or if you just want to reach out to us for any reason, you can contact us at Tom at TomMorrison.biz or Dave at PropFuel.com. Give us a review if you haven't already. And don't forget, subscribe and share with your friends.